My name is Dave Meany. I'm professor of bioengineering and neurosurgery at the University of Pennsylvania. I currently serve as the department chair of the bioengineering department, and I've served in that capacity for about uh, 10 years now. I have been at Penn since 1993 on the faculty, and I currently teach undergraduate classes in biomechanics and also uh, bioengineering laboratory. I'm Leanne Doherty. I'm a senior lecturer in bioengineering, and I teach both BE200 biomechanics and BE220 biomaterials. Hi, I'm Eric Helfcott. I'm a senior in bioengineering. I also study finance, and I'm from New York City. My name is Kayla Przelski. I'm a junior studying bioengineering, and I'm from Pottsville, Pennsylvania. I'm Joseph Majori. I'm a junior surprise studying bioengineering from New Jersey. My name is Margaret Schroeder. I'm a senior in BE, and I also study healthcare management, and I'm from Palm Beach, Florida. And you guys met as freshmen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so I wasn't BE as a freshman, but like I, I knew that I wanted to be BE like starting in the summer of my freshman year, going into my freshman year, so I figured it out very soon. It was just because I had like applied to the College of Arts and Science for all my schools that I was applying to. Oh, okay. And then... When I looked at the course I was taking for bio, because I applied as bio, and I saw it, and I was like, this is just not what I want to do. So I started taking all the BE classes like right away. Like I was in BE 100 with everyone, and like you really wouldn't be in BE 100, I guess. I no, mean, there are people, you wouldn't, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, most people probably wouldn't be in BE 100 unless you're BE, but I was, so everyone just assumed that was BE. So yeah, I like never really spoke to Kale at all, and then... And I'm like, we just, I think like we, we were, we were talking about this before, but I think the, like the moment that we like really became friends, like very good friends was, um, in your class, Dr. Dory, where it's not a particularly like, like we had the first exam and like, it's not, I mean, I, I walked out and I was like, that was a hard test. Like, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't like. We're doing a B220 review now. It's not. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this isn't like terrible. And then um, I like, you know, it's, it's that like big active learning room. So I like look around, I'm like trying to find Kayla because we have class like next week. Got to like sprint to like across <laughs> campus. This was, this was like when we had like five classes in a row. And like I look over at Kayla and she's just like, like dead face. Like I, I can visualize this so perfectly like it's yesterday. And I just like look over at her and I was like, like almost like looking like, yeah, like like, what do you think? Kind of like from across the room and I just see her like start crying. And I was like, and I was like, oh man, I, I, I like my like, like, like innate, like instincts kicked in. I was like, okay, like I got to get her exam. I got to turn it in. I was like, we gotta, I was like, we got to get out. And I, like, and I remember Olivia Teeter like took Kayla and was like, like comforting her and was like leading her out of the room like as I was handing in her exam. And then like I walked out and Olivia was like, was like, here, take her. <laughs> and then, like, and then, like I, t- I, I took her. And then, like, and then I was just like, like it's going to be okay. Like, and then I think, I mean, we, we've talked about this a lot because that was just such a, like, like retrospectively, it was such a, like, hilarious moment like, that, that happened. But, I, yeah, I feel like that's when, when it all happened. And I just, I just want to say, for the record, I had no part in those exam questions. So, it was all I mean, Dr. Gordon. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it was a challenging Exam. It wasn't. It wasn't like Doctor Doherty's like this evil like test maker. That, like, <laughs> but it was challenging. You know. But we met in physics lab freshman mm. year, and we ended up right. in a group together just by chance. Mm-hmm. And I thought Joe was so weird. <laughs> <laughs> he had emailed us after the first lab, 
And I remember like making fun of him to the other girl, and I was like, "What's this kid emailing us about? Like, why is he so like serious about physics?" <laughs> and then we were also friends, Math One Fourteen, doing um, Professor Gray's problem sets. Oh yeah, night. yeah, those but were really. Those, I yeah. agree. Are like solidifying our really close friendship. Wasn't until sophomore. I think also because like freshman year, and I'm sure like you guys can attest this too, like freshman year you're just meeting so many people yeah. that it's like you don't really know who you're friends with. And then like once you have to like go through some stuff, like sophomore year. <laughs> it's bonding like, through suffering. Yeah. Yeah, it is. In the best kind of way. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before, like, even, like just right outside, but I feel like the suffering that you go through, even though like, like the suffering quote, <laughs> like in like BE 10 is like, is, is no more suffering than any other engineering school. I mean, I obviously have no idea because I've never been at any other school, but I mean, engineering's hard. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it requires a lot. I mean, it's definitely challenging, but I mean, it's not like we're suffering more than like, <laughs> other students at other universities. I think that makes you closer as a, as a class. Yeah. Definitely. As, I, as, as seniors, I think our, our grade is pretty close. If we have a group me that not all too serious stuff gets put in no, sometimes. No, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the most serious. But, yeah, we we have, like, like every time, like, a new differential equation gets, like, introduced in one of our classes, like, the group me will just light up, like, again, <laughs> like... The group me has this odd way of spiking in class when yeah. something funny happens and right before a test yeah. when everybody's questions need to be answered yeah, like, by other people. is this slide important? <laughs> so... You learn to bond. Well, on the professor side, we often look at every class and we wonder how you guys will change over the four years or three years and people transfer in. And there's always a personality to each of the classes that evolves. And I would say that we see glimpses of it in the E200 in the mm -hmm. fall of the sophomore year. And then, uh, Leanne, you see them again in the spring. Right, when 220. But I think it really comes out when they start taking lab classes yeah. in the junior years and some of the other classes. Because by then, you're committed to the major. You know this, this is what you're going to do. The classes in the junior year become a little bit more intensive than they were in the sophomore year. And the lab class, I think, is as much a socialization, right. getting to know people um, across the whole grade, um, as opposed to maybe just a hand. I always think it's interesting too because I have you in 200 and then again in 220. So I really get to know everything, mm -hmm. which is nice. And that's why everyone's like personalities come out in 220. It's okay, you know. It's okay to ask her something. It's okay to you know, raise your hand. And, um, not quite as quiet. Joe was just commenting that he remembers me saying, you know, in 200 in the fall, going, anyone? Anyone? Anyone want to say something to me? Not a problem in 220. Which is funny too because 220 is like more of like a lecture style. Right. Yeah. The 200 one is probably more of the interaction one. Right. But I guess like, you know, everyone just finds their like little group within the yeah. and Then like by that time you're surrounded with people that you're comfortable with. And, I think another component of it too is like I was convinced that it was a fluke that I got into the BE program that everyone else was miles smarter than me <laughs> until like. I don't know, second semester, sophomore year, I was like, okay, we're all kind of lost on this. But like, <laughs> in BE 200, I was just kind of like, I think 
can't speak because if I ask a dumb question, like everyone's going to know that I shouldn't have gotten in and like I shouldn't be here. But I think because before that, you're kind of in the intro classes where you don't know. And then when the hard material gets introduced, I mean, you start to wonder, like, am I supposed to feel confident about this? Because it's the first time that it's new. So. It's so comforting when you like you come in. Everyone's on this like different thing. And you're like, oh my god, this is insane. Like, I mean, exactly what you're saying. And once you're all level, yeah, it's like, okay, now we can all work together. Right. It's like, like this is the first time everyone's seeing this. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's this imposter syndrome, right, which is very reminiscent of what you're saying. And uh, what I now realize is that uh, we each face that at different points in our life. So even today, I have situations where I have the same kind of thought coming into a meeting or something that you would have in BB200. And uh, I think part of what college helps you realize is that um, you'll see these time and time again and you'll respond to it and it'll be fine. Um, and, but up until then, you haven't had a kind of educational uh, process that challenges you. How do you as a professor like to state the imposter syndrome, just out of curiosity? You know, it's a good question. I think the more times you go through it, you, you question yourself, you, you do become a little bit more confident in your ability for every time you get through it, you realize, yeah, everybody else doesn't know what the heck they're talking about either. Um, and um, there's times when you realize that you probably don't know as much as the person next to you, and that's okay too. Um, those might be times when you try to learn something on the fly. But yeah, I think it comes down to just building the confidence in yourself um, that anything that comes at you, you can kind of handle. But that's just me. I don't know if you have the same thing. I was say it helps have good mentors. You know, with those times when I say I feel like I look good on paper, but I don't necessarily feel like I am those things. It's nice to have a colleague or a mentor that can look at it and say, No, no, I actually see those things in you. And, you know, that's similar to having friends and classmates. And, um, but yeah, it, it, it never goes away, but you learn how to deal with it. I would imagine, too, like, I mean, like, Dr. Dory, you were, like, specifically known as, like, the mentor of, like, <laughs> so many DE people. I would imagine, like, that's got to be, like, for you. I mean, you too, Dr. Dory, too. Like, like that has to be somewhat of, like, a gratifying feeling, too. Like, when, when one of your students is, like, like says something about you that like you you never like actually believed yourself and you're like wow you know what yeah I do do that well yeah or a student says you know I remember two years ago when you said this to me mm-hmm. and I'm like wow you remember that well we just had our fall homecoming reception we have alumni coming out and for me that's that's really nice to see people doing well coming back sometimes and saying. I didn't know what you were trying to tell us in the BE lab class, but now I do know what you were trying to tell us, and I think we get emails periodically yeah. about that, which I think is gratifying to know, even out in the world. Um, they think about some of the experiences they've had here. Um, but I'm also trying to think, as they're talking about their experiences when they got to know each other around as students, what are our <laughs> <laughs> Because it just... To start this off, um, so uh, you're at a bar. <laughs> I don't remember that part, yet. <laughs> but uh, we were hiring a lecturer in the department because we needed some help in uh, teaching classes. And 
can't remember how many years ago. I guess it was six or seven. Seven, yeah. Yeah. And we narrowed it down to three candidates. Dr. Doherty was one of the candidates. Nice. And, um, <laughs> we would hope so. Yeah. It was immediately obvious within five minutes of her interview that she was the one. Immediately obvious. And I think you were third out of three. I think so, too. I, I can't remember. And that wasn't a time when I had a smartphone. I could text back and forth. I didn't really know what texting was, although my daughter did at that time. <laughs> um, but, you know, people are elbowing me saying, can you just cut this interview short already? <laughs> She's the one, and the rest is history. The thing I remember about that interview is that um, I gave a lecture as if I was lecturing to students, um, but it was to faculty. And the faculty were supposed to pretend to be students. <laughs> and Dr. Wigglestein kept raising her hand every five minutes going, is this going to be on the exam? Is this going to be on the exam? <laughs> oh my God. What'd you say? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I was going to ask how they like vet the lecturing skills. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's a mini lecture. I think we gave you the topic. Um, Torsion. Yeah. Mm. There was a full noodle involved. <laughs> yeah, and we asked you, you know, complete freedom, 15 minutes, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Um, How long did you prep for that? Longer than I probably should have. Really? Well, it worked out, so... I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the answer is, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. yeah. But then we started teaching together. I was going to say, and then we used to teach BD200 together when we first came in. And I, I would... Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I would prep for hours and hours, and I would come in and say, you know, Dave, it's your, your teaching today. You thought about it, and he goes, no. <laughs> and he would come in and give this amazing lecture, and I'm sitting there going, I spent six hours on my lecture. Um, so definitely learned a thing or two over those, mm. those years. We had two versions of that course. You guys have had, obviously, the later version. The first version used to be taking mechanics and everything we covered in biomechanics and mixing in biomaterials as one single course. And the first year we taught it, it was in this combined version. Um, and the reason we split it is we realized that it was just too hard in one semester to cover all of that material. Um, a lot. Yeah, and it, it just, I mean, you guys are really smart, and even with you guys, the attention rate yeah. was just, it, it wasn't um, enough. So um, when we started teaching, the and I started teaching, the sequence, I think, was biomaterials first yeah. and then biomechanics. And you were in the midst of Finishing your dissertation and defending. I defended on a Tuesday and taught my first class on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah, and then I covered like the first month yeah. while you were defending, yeah. and then you uh, transitioned after that. Yeah. Um, so that required some coordination, but that was good. That was kind yeah. of like, okay, how are we going to do this, and how are we going to collaborate on this? Um, and then we evolved into this mixing of lectures and topics over time, and then obviously came to this active learning. Which I think has been helpful. Um, I think so too. And at least it gives in the standard hour and 20 minute lecture some time to take a break and find out if you guys are doing okay. Or as you're saying, Margaret, some people have no idea what people are talking about. Um, but one of the things we realized in the active learning was, was just that that uh, if you guys are working in small groups and people realize that. There's others having difficulty absorbing a concept. That's actually a, a good thing for people to realize. So it overcomes that, um, that feeling that you have. Or even just to ask, like, 
What does that mean in English? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so what is that? And have a peer explain it. Right. It's helpful. I think also like the active learning, like it, like you know how sometimes when you're like in a class and you're like learning a concept and you're like, wow, this is like really a difficult concept. But then once you're, and, and like you're really struggling with it, like really stressed about it. And then once you're able to like see that big picture of like why like why am I actually learning this and like why why is it worth this stress? Because I think I mean I don't know if you guys can attest to this either, but I think like in pursuing like engineering in general, where there's like so many, you're like you're basically designed to like solve problems. So like there's so many points where you're like this is so frustrating, so like so difficult, and like why am I even doing this? And then when you're able to like either solve the problem, like get the cockroach like to move, like get the like like see in the like active learning thing why you're actually learning this it's like it, it it that helps a lot like i think freshman year where you're like doing all those intro classes that was the hardest thing ever because you like rarely are seeing like why you're using this that was so difficult then like once you're able to have these classes that have the application yeah i'd also say i mean that's definitely true i think i mean i definitely feel like in sophomore and junior and even senior year, there's so much more understanding why you're learning what you're learning behind the actual classes that that definitely makes an impact. I'd also say the collaboration is a big part of it. I remember working with barely anybody in B100 and 101. I mean, maybe at the end of the semester in 101. And the collaboration obviously is important there, but I haven't done anything alone in bioengineering since then. Yeah. And I mean, thank God. I mean, really thank God for that. Because if I did, I, I think I would have flunked out of this major a long time ago. But there's definitely on the spectrum of collaboration, there's the labs on one side, which is just the, the peak of what you do with other people. And then you could argue maybe like a 305 or a 220, which are still collaborative, but definitely more lecture based. Then you've got like 200 in the middle there. And I think everything is fit exactly where it should be. And I, coming from freshman year, which is 100 and 101, which are lecture style. I mean, really lecture style. It's such a nice shift because I think it cures some of that imposter syndrome that you guys were talking about, which is now I know that other people don't know anything because I actually speak to other people about the fact that we don't know anything <laughs> together. And coming from experience, I know there have been too many times to count where Margaret and I have just looked at each other <laughs> in class and just been like, so do you know how to do this? No, I don't know how to do this. Good, because uh, we have to do this in a week. Yeah. And uh, I guess we're just going to figure it out this weekend. Or other times where like, I'll look at Eric and like panic. Be like, what is this? Like, I got it. Don't worry. Like, I'll explain it to you in an hour. Less times. Less times. <laughs> other stuff. So it's good. To, I also think as you get to know people and, and build those study groups, even the lecture-based classes become collaborative. Mm -hmm. Like with the problem sets. Like It's like, okay, like we're going to do... Like study 305 or work on the 305 problem set every Thursday at like this time. And so it becomes essentially a group-based class more informally. And I think pretty much everyone in our group does that. I don't know yeah. anyone who does the homeworks alone. Maybe there are one or two whiz kids out there, but... <laughs> one of the things that since Leanne and I are teaching BE200 anymore, we can't collaborate on the homework. So if we would probably do two or three iterations. Yeah. Like, here's a problem and we'd go back and forth and We'd add elements, we'd take elements out. We like while you're designing homeworks? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, generally we have like this group of problems that we think are pretty straightforward. There's another group that, you know, we're going to push the students a little bit, or maybe one out of five are challenge, quote unquote, problems. And we really try to design that. Um, and I think we lose something by not. Yeah. 
So I'm on my own in developing homeworks for the lab class. There's nobody so, to reel in that. So that's why. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. He goes into the office. He's like, it's all mine. <laughs> so I'm guessing I have a reputation for on a more difficult side for homework? No. Well, I was asking, I was asking you about this at, the, at that homecoming event. I was like, yeah, so when you design the 309 homeworks, like, how do you do it? And you were like, yeah, well, like, if it's, like, homework one, there's, like, one trick, and if there's homework, if it's homework two, it's two tricks. And then I was like, well, then how come on homework one there were five tricks? And, and then you were like, well, those are the one I, I designed one trick. That's one trick that I designed. <laughs> yeah. Not a perceived trick. Yeah. I think it's pretty underestimated. I mean, like, it's obviously, like, tooting, like, 10 BE's horn, but you brought up, like, how how well-crafted, like, the semesters... Like, if you follow, let's say, like, the BE, like, sample curriculum for, like, every semester, it actually is, like, a really, really good, like, variety, where even right now, Kayla and I are in 309, at least for the BE classes, 309, which is the lab, 301, which is signals and systems, and 324, which is uh, physical chemistry. So, with those... Like, even, even just the way, I think, I mean, I don't know if you guys do this on purpose. I think you do, where, like, 309 starts, like, significantly harder and then, like, gets a little easier. I mean, like, a little. And then 324, like, then ramps up. So, whereas, and then, like, same thing with how does 301 is easier in the beginning and then harder at the end. So, it's, like, and it's also, I mean, even in high school, my, my like, teachers in high school never coordinated, like, when they were going to do an exam or something. Whereas, like, here in college, like, you, like, you guys actually do that. You're like, oh, do you have, like, a lab report through that day? Okay, like, maybe we'll move the homework, like, which is, well, I guess it's really nice. Hearing your talk and teaching 309, I didn't realize it's getting easier. <laughs> no, it's definitely <laughs> not. <Yeah. laughs> but, like, is that the, I think that's the design. Now. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, and we do talk because the junior year of all semester, there's always a transition from one semester to the next, and there's... Um, more and more workload. I think the junior year for our curriculum, you guys might agree, is probably the most work intensive. Mm -hmm. And we do exactly that. So for each semester, we try to really identify not just the assignments and sequencing the assignments, make sure that they're not all due at the same time. But I knew, for instance, in developing the lab class, it was exactly as you said, that you know, there was a lot of work. And I think I told you guys the first yeah. month, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the lab class and maybe not as much time in the other classes. but you will get a break. We're at this point in the semester where that's backing off a little bit, I think. Um, and the other thing is, as we introduce independent projects in the lab class, I think that's, you spend a lot of time on it, but it's, I think, a little bit easier to spend more time on that just because it's up to you guys to decide what you want to do. I think the, I mean, you said, you did say this in the beginning, that it's like a, it's a, it's a large amount of time you have to put in. But that, that is really, in my opinion, that's really the only hard thing about 309. I mean, like you have to put in so much time for the class. So like that front loading where you have like the homeworks and the lab reports do, like that's a lot. But right now we only have lab basically. We we already finished our three homework assignments, so in that sense, yeah, I think I think it has gotten easier. Well, I think we're only gonna have three homework assignments. Good. <laughs> we'll keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. The other day in lab we weren't there when Kayla and I were developing this survey that we distributed. It's um, <laughs> a big credit to Kayla on that, but it's a really important close. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I took it. <laughs> yeah. But I was actually going to take that survey. It was originally going to be the homework number four, but I was just mm -hmm. going to spring on you guys. Mm -hmm. And Kayla, to her great credit, said, 
don't you dare do that. I'll kill you. <laughs> like that. Well, I said that everyone would just start panicking. Like, everyone was in lab, and yeah. if you, like, see an email that comes up, like, homework four, I'm like, wait, what? Like, homework four? Like, I was not mentally prepared for this. So, I think that would be pretty mean. What was it? What was it? Yeah. Oh, it was actually, like, a really fun quiz, like, asking questions, like, about the lab, like, who would win in arm wrestling? Like, Seville or Dan? Like, I know, we're not as fun. It was, <laughs> it's okay. You know? It was really Fun. We can actually make this survey available to the we would seniors. Yeah, I would really so appreciate that. You guys would like it. Yeah. You have There's to know, you have to be in 309 or 310 to understand, but since you guys have already taken it, joke, you know? yeah, like the sophomores and freshmen BE would not um, get it. There, there's one question that's like a multiple choice question. It was like when Dr. Meany talks to other schools and says that bioengineering at Penn is the best program, is it A, he is right, and then that was the only option? <laughs> I do have my favorites. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing I love, you just mentioned talking to the freshmen and sophomores. One thing that I will never not enjoy about BE freshmen and sophomores is when I, and I have known a couple of, like as a junior, I knew more freshmen and now I know more sophomores. They go, oh, I'm in 200, I'm in 220. I've got this homework due and I've got a midterm coming up and wow, in my other three classes, I have just a lot of work going on and I just start hysterically laughing. I mean, I really do. Not because there's anything that changes necessarily junior year, but um, it's really fun to see the progression of BE from freshman to senior year because you know a lot of people will call it a calling process because obviously you have to be interested to stay in it and stay committed, but... There's just such a mind shift. Yeah, of what's hard. Uh, yeah, uh, really. I mean, it just keeps like your baseline just keeps on going. <laughs> and I would say junior fall was my favorite semester because I think that's still where my baseline is in many respects. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you were right in saying the junior year is maybe the most strenuous in terms of workload. I think because of the three class gut punch. <laughs> you have this amazing need to just be like alright well I have to do everything and you know I have to get this done so I've just got to make sure that I have a standard for what yeah. I do it's also coming off the summer too it so is like, so it's, it's really, like a double whammy there it is although to be fair I thought 324 I mean I would love 324 as, like a, as a lecture based class I really did and so I think that and 309 which was our like bonding our serious bonding time made the semester easier than it could have been but it's still really i mean i just get such a kick out of talking to freshmen and sophomores <laughs> do you remember being a freshman or a sophomore when you people, know i have I no so memory mad. from before junior fall <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> yeah like when people when like a junior would be like oh you don't know anything and i was like my life is hard okay? <laughs> and then like now i'm like oh those freshmen <laughs> Well, like, I feel bad for them now. I don't. I have no remorse. But this is pretty common because there was a senior last year that was graduating, um, and she's in a PhD program at Northwestern now. And she said exactly the same thing. She was mentoring in this peer mentoring that yeah. engineering has uh, some freshmen, uh, first-year students. And it was the exact same conversation that they were complaining about. I think the first homework assignment in introductory bioengineering and just how much it was required and she's like, oh, they have no idea what they're getting into. No. Have you ever thought to do like a peer, like mentor program and be like have like a senior, every junior paired up with a freshman or like every senior paired up with a freshman? So we've done it informally. It's never been part of like a, a regular uh, 
institution. Yeah, required. So uh, our biomedical engineering society chapter at the MES oh. at the undergraduate level, they've teamed up with the Graduate Association of Bioengineers, Gabe, in the department, and they provide this mentoring program that's available all the way down to first year students, undergraduates. But again, it's not required. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been pretty successful. Yeah. A lot of graduate students, for instance, that want to be mentors to undergraduates, and they come from a different undergraduate institution typically, mm -hmm. so they can provide some perspective, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's helpful. But within the undergraduate population, I don't know if we focus as much on that as well, but I think it could be helpful. Yeah. I'm in this club, and like I, we were giving like some, it's totally, it's like a biotech club, it's unrelated to BE, yeah. it's called pubs, but they... Like some BE freshmen had come to like an info session, and I was at the end. We we're like, "Oh, does anyone have any questions?" And like, people were coming up and not even asking about pubs, but we're like, "Oh, you're a BE junior. Like, here I have like all these questions. Like, like this is so hard. Like, is it going to get blah blah blah? Like, just asking so many questions. I feel like there's a need for that. Like, people. I feel like freshmen in in BE would really benefit from like hearing juniors and seniors just be like, "Yeah, like I'm still having those problems, and like to kind of cope with that, like imposter syndrome again too." Yeah. Well, when you guys talk to people that you went to high school with, they go to different places, and you compare notes, I assume you do compare notes about your experiences, but you guys find that's either similar to or different from those. Margaret? My friends at other schools say they don't do homework on Saturdays ever. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, well, that's not going to change. No, <laughs> so, in engineering? Uh, I, I don't think any of them are doing engineering. So, I think a couple are in the sciences, but I think just the amount of work that might be also because I did an engineering major and they didn't but I do think in, in general the environment at Penn like everyone works hard mm -hmm. and you kind of it's not like oh college is easy this is the best four years of my life because like I can like skip all of my classes and like go out on a Tuesday I think yeah. we don't have that that just doesn't exist here in any of the undergraduate schools I would even say a lot of my friends have ended up in the liberal arts track more than the engineering track. There are some that dabbled. I guess you could call computer science engineering if you really wanted to, but I'm just kidding. Um, but the liberal arts, my friends who are liberal arts majors who are econ or poli sci, I'm just losing my voice now. They don't understand what even goes on in an engineering setting. So to try and explain to them I mean, a lab class is like maybe like top of the hill, but to try and explain to them, you know, senior design is probably the easiest thing. Yeah. And then you go to, you know, exactly what goes on in a BE class and you realize very quickly that you have to really like what you're doing to do any of this. Yeah. You're explaining this to somebody who hasn't touched a science textbook in at least two years, not more. So they're just kind of looking at you with like head tilted eyes kind of glazed over <laughs> like almost comatose really like it's really getting there and you have to it makes you think about how much your interest played into what you chose to study because maybe I would have that same look if I felt that if I didn't feel strongly about what I was doing I would say like even my friends not in engineering at Penn they're just like, oh, Kayla, like, she's not going to be able to come. Like, she's going to be really busy or, like, just stuff like that. Like, I think everyone understands, but also, like, admires us in some sort of way for, like, what we do and, like, what we put up with. But, like, also, like, 
I don't know, like, everyone's like, oh, Kayla knows so much, like, cool stuff about science. Or, like, everyone, like, text me, like, oh, I have to take this bio class, like, for, like, a sector requirement. Like, will you help me? And I was like, sure. Like, I'm taking, like, three. Like, but, yeah, I see that and, like, comparing with them. Well, I, like, I went to, like, a very competitive high school. It's called Biotechnology High School. So a lot of people who graduated from there, like, went on to Ivy League schools and, like, went on to, like, really, like, really intense places. So... That being said, I'm not really friends with anyone from high school anymore. <laughs> I have like a really tight knit group of friends from like besides my high school. I have friends. That's <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the times that like I've gone back to my high school and talked to people from other schools, especially at other Ivy League schools, I mean, even when you talk to people here at Penn, like stress is so cool and everyone's like, oh, I'm so stressed. Like, ever, like it's just so cool and like, it's disgusting. I mean, I hate, I, I, yeah, I like, Kayla and I talk about this a lot, but like, I just, I hate when people say that they're stressed when they're not actually stressed and we're like, when they walk out of an exam and they're like, oh my God, that was impossible. And then they get like a 95. Yeah. So like, I think that happens a lot. Like, especially when you go back and talk to people from high school where they're like, yeah, you know, like I, I never go out or like, yeah, I go out like every week. And it's just like, it's not an accurate representation of like what what their school was like, and I think like even even like when I try to give like a very unbiased like depiction of what it's like at Penn, it's still like pretty biased, you know. Like I I'll either say like oh you know it's really good or however I feel about it, but like I, I don't know. I try to like like it's just about everyone making the most of it. And, like my experience at Penn to like even talk to another high school student is just like in no way what their experience is going to be like. So. I don't know, it was like a long answer for like not really having an answer. <laughs> so what is bioengineering? I mean, you know, you talk about you need to love it, but what is it? Well, that's a great question. I don't think I could define it. I know. If I had, someone asked me this the other day and I was like, well, I'll get back to you. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I think you have to love like medicine. And I think in some indirect way, you have to want to help people. I think that's a commonality that I have with most of my peers. That being said, I think at the undergrad level, it's extremely broad, intentionally so. So, like, it could be anything from, like, building a robotic arm to, like, CRISPR, you know? And that's where I think you have to be aware enough, if you want to specialize, what's out there and then where you want to specialize and that you have to do so if you want to be, like, really good at one of those areas. But it it is broad. I mean, I think that's the point, too. But if you look historically in engineering, the new fields emerge and we're by many accounts, the newest field in engineering, they go through this similar evolution. So for instance, when at the beginning of the 20th century, a revolution occurred in chemistry, and they could synthesize many different things relatively quickly, the scale-up and the opportunities to move and make industries from it created chemical engineering. Mm -hmm. But at that time, a lot of the conversation was about what is chemical engineering? and what role does it play? You can look at electrical engineering in the same context in different phases, actually. So with everything that's occurred in biology in particular in the past 20 years, a lot of related industries where we can now do micro and nano manufacturing um, at a scale and at a speed we couldn't do before, I think it's probably bioengineering is one of the most dynamic fields because we're creating these new threads even within the field. So... That's one of the reasons why we created these concentrations for undergraduates, that out of all of this wild swath, there is an opportunity for you to pick 
one area that he wanted to uh, develop my expertise in. It's been interesting to me to see that many of the students, if they pick a concentration, it's in the devices, the biomedical devices realm. I'm not surprised by that because in general, students nowadays are interested in making things, quote unquote, um, and we've been responding a lot to that. Um, and I think that biology itself gives us more things like the genome editing technologies and who knows what in the future. That's that's going to even change the flavor of making things within the field of bioengineering. Um, it's not going to be only diagnostic devices that are microfluidic based, but biology is going to play a bigger role. But I think that's one of the biggest challenges. It probably has the widest purview right now out of all the engineering fields, but that's just because we're relatively new. What I find really interesting about it is at different schools, it's called different things, which I, I, I don't know. It's just a very interesting thing that I've noticed over time where at Johns Hopkins, it's biomedical engineering. Here, it's bioengineering. Some places, it's biological engineering. And each name has a different connotation in my mind. Biomedical engineering, a lot more heavily focused on devices and medicine. Biological, a lot more cellular. I don't necessarily know why that has occurred over time. Maybe it's based on the curriculums. Maybe based on the resources of each school, but... I think that bioengineering definitely connotates the most broad, which is not a bad thing in my mind. I, I really enjoy that. But it's an interesting, going back to your original question, a lot of people will describe it as every other engineering applied to biology. So you do a little bit of electrical, you do mechanical, in devices you do you know, chemical and cellular. You could, you could match up different engineerings to bioengineering. I don't necessarily think that's true. I mean, I think there are some things that are uniquely bioengineering, whether it's CRISPR technology or something maybe a little bit more like a large scale than, than genes. But it's, to me, interesting to meet other people at other schools that are a biomedical engineer and compare my experience in bioengineering with theirs because usually what happens is we've taken the same classes for two years and then in the third and fourth year, we've taken completely different <laughs> curricula. And I don't know how it happened, but somewhere in there, both people thought they were bioengineers and they just turned into two very different engineers, both of whom say they're bioengineers, both of whom believe that they've done the quote standard bio bioengineering curriculum. And one isn't necessarily better than the other. They fit different things and obviously different types of student, but I don't necessarily think bioengineering has one definition yet. I think it is re relatively undefined because of the broadness and also because I don't think people have settled on, on one, one thing. Well, when our department was formed in 1973, I think, um, there was a big discussion among the faculty at the time as to what our name would be. It was common then to be biomedical yeah. engineering. Biological engineering was just not in uh, the vernacular one. And uh, the faculty decided here to use bioengineering because they weren't entirely sure how the field would evolve. Mm -hmm. And if it was biomedical, they thought that there would be this suggestion that it would only be medical applications, that it wouldn't extend out into the environment. It wouldn't include things which are what you see now in synthetic biology and engineering microbes, um, which is part of our field. Mm -hmm. um, and they're right. They were correct at that time, and I think that's kind of helped us to this day to be diverse. Um, there's opportunities in engineering plants that fall within the broad definition of bioengineering, but maybe not biomedical engineering. 
what I find fascinating is that all of our programs, undergraduate programs, whether we're bioengineering or biomedical, have to satisfy the same accreditation criteria. So how do we each achieve that, given a broad set of principles? Um, and then we get into discussions about what we emphasize, which yeah. I think is... I also appreciate the flexibility, and I actually think the way we're set up, one of the reasons I think our students do so well once they finish is because we have you learn so many different things in so many domains. It's almost like picking up new foreign languages that the first one is hard, the second one mm -hmm. is not as hard, but you're actually, you have a cognitive flexibility because of that, so you pick things up really quickly when you graduate, or after you graduate, um, which our employers, you know, people that hire our students, come back to us and say, yeah, they're the most flexible in employee in the company. They, I can put them in any team, and they'll, um, end up leading the team pretty quickly because they can talk to everybody on the team. I suspect, Hale, you could talk to anybody on the team, too. <laughs> well, yeah, I agree with what you're saying in that we can do so many things like based on just like the curriculum that we all have because I have a lot of friends that are interested in medicine and friends that are interested in neuroengineering and nanotechnology and then computational biology and data science and like these are all people just like juniors in undergrad, like doing all these like really cool things like outside of what we're learning in class based on all having the same core curriculum. So I just really think that speaks to how broad and like flexible that you said it was. And the, to think that like everything that like all my other friends are interested in, I could still do too. Which, yeah, I could talk to anyone on a team because <laughs> I could do all that. Well, the key there though is to make sure that our advising the students is is available and accessible so that uh, you can get the right path. And I placed a lot of emphasis on faculty advising when I first started. Um, you guys fill out these surveys periodically, at least once a year, on how well your faculty advisor is and giving you advice. But I think all of you guys are good at not limiting that advice solicitation to just your faculty advisor, um, which I think you should be doing, and you should be asking as many professors as you can to get that input. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, I feel like I, I've, ha I've been, like, very lucky that I have, like, an incredible faculty advisor who, like, I frequently go to about, like, many, like, trivial things in my life, but I think, like, the, I mean, like, I'm, after I graduate, I'm planning on applying to MD, PhD school, which is, like, a very specific path that's, like, very, like, I mean, not it's, it's really pretty broad, but, like, it's a pretty narrow decision to make and say that, like, you want to do that. And, like, I've been working in the same lab for, the, like, the past three years. And I think that, like, having classes where you have professors that are so unique, where, like, you're able to see the interests of the individual professors and see, like, this huge, broad experience, I think that's where you, like, really get this, like, subconscious advice where you're like, okay... This professor, like, it's something that you can't even describe because it's just, you hear something, like, maybe while you're in biomechanics and you're like, wow, like, that's something I'm really interested in without you even knowing it. Like, you've just received that piece of advice and that, and that, like, kind of cultivates you to, to, like, narrow down what you want to do. Because when you're, especially when you decide that you want to do bioengineering, even when you go on the BE concentrations, there's, like, nine concentrations, right? Or how many are there? So there's like, it's like, there's so much to decide from. And I think in freshman year, it's like paralyzing. There's so much that you can do that like really all you can do is figure out like what you don't want to do. 
And I think like from getting this broad range of professors with like all these different classes, all these different professors that have all these different unique interests, you're able to see like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm not interested in biomechanics. So that's like one thing that you're able to kind of like cross off. And then I think it's just unbelievable that, I mean, I came in like not even knowing what I wanted to do at all. And now in like basically two full years, I was able to like decide this like very like narrow path and find something that like I'm really interested in. So yeah, I think like the, the faculty advising in general, like whether it be your actual faculty advisor or like this like other type of faculty advising, both like really cultivate you to I mean also the professors are just like unbelievable. I mean even ones that are not even in the B department. Like remember Evelyn Thompson? She was just like Yeah, our our physics professor, like she what is it? What's that place in Switzerland? Swern? Stern? Stern? Yeah. Stern. Stern, yeah. She like she, she does like work there. She, it's just everyone I've had so incredible. It's unbelievable. So there's a question. I'll start with Dr. Jordy. <laughs> because it's a generic question. I've got it on a sheet in front of me. Something that you wish you knew before we started at Penn. And for you, Leanne, this goes way back. I was going to say. Um, not as way back as it does for me. <laughs> Because you got your PhD here. I did. Coming from a small college, Lafayette mm-hmm. Engineering. Yes. So you can take your entry point, like starting at Penn, as okay. teaching or. I'll go, I'll go back to my PhD. So I came from a small undergraduate only institution to, which is in a very rural area, to a, a large institution in the city. And I wish I knew how easy it was to get lost in the hubbub of Penn. <laughs> It took me a while to figure out how to find my place at Penn, and I did, but I think that if I had known the difference between this huge university and a small school, I would have um, looked for those opportunities a little sooner. I think I would have liked to realize sooner how quickly everything changes like in all aspects of life, like whether it be like me personally like growing or just like things at home that are just like constantly different or like people that I meet here like my classes and like what I'm learning just like everything is constantly changing and that's okay because I guess it's like easy to like miss that like comfort I just like remember in high school like I would come home and like do the same thing like every day and like it was fine but um I just like it took me a really long time to realize that like everything's changing but it's changing for everyone I think I would say, like, I think I would have liked to just, like, have someone tell me to just, like, like, listen to everything that everyone has to say, but then, like, have that clear moment where you decide for yourself what you want to do in, like, whatever it be, like, whether it's, you know, like, picking something in bioengineering or, like, social life at Penn or, like, anything, like, literally anything. Everyone has their opinion on everything and wants to share that opinion, and, like, the sooner that you realize that no one actually knows the right answer to any of it, and that it's just, like, up to you to pick what you want to do and what is going to make you happy, the sooner that you're able to, like, figure that out, the, like, overall happier and, like, better experience, I think, you have. Yeah. I think I wish I had known the the importance of, like, pushing for yourself. Like, there might not be that beaten path that, like you want to take but if you want to take it like why not like for me I definitely probably had a confidence issue the first two years like didn't think I was necessarily smart enough to be in the program I'm in didn't think I knew as much thought like oh I'll just like kind of go through my four years and end up wherever Penn spits me out and then kind of had a wake-up moment last year I was like wait what do I want to do and 
maybe if I, if I'm complacent, it's not going to happen. So like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be, if I go on to graduate school, get my PhD, probably like the third M&T student who's ever gotten their PhD in bioengineering. Like that just doesn't really happen. And like, everyone looks at me, they're like, what are you doing? Like, no one does that pivot back, but I want to do it. So like pushing for that and making it happen. I wish I had been confident enough sophomore year to say, you know, maybe I don't want to like do what 60, 70% of my classmates are doing. Uh, Coming in, I wish I had known that it's never too late to do something that you want to do. And I think that's particularly poignant because we're seniors, because it's really, I mean, it's, it's really getting towards the end. But there have been a lot of times over the years where I've told myself that I've missed a window to do something, whether it's academically, extracurricularly, socially, I've just missed the window. Like It's not the right time to work in a lab. It's not the right time to apply for what I want to apply for. It's not the right time to... I don't make new friends that I haven't already made. And I think that that type of thinking is not only detrimental to just us, not only as young people who should be doing that, but just as people, I think it also is just not true. And I wish that I had come in knowing that I could just choose things when I wanted to choose things. There would be consequences, sure. But in the end, it would have been what I wanted to do. It would have been a positive change. And so if I were to do it over again, maybe a couple times, there could have been a different outcome. But that would have been nice to, to think about going. All right, Dave, you think way back. <laughs> I thought I was going to get out of this. <laughs> I guess there's a couple, for me, a couple of entry points uh, that I could pick when I started my PhD here. Um, when I started on the faculty, when I started as chair, these are actually different milestones. Maybe I'll pick the one in the middle. And I have to say, I wish, I wish I knew then what I know now, which is that it's okay to be um, pretty open with the students, to let them know that you really want them to do well. Um, I started out, and I think if you talk to people that I taught in the beginning of my career, like the early 90s, I was a bit of a hard person. Um, Kayla, you're kind of arching your eyebrows. Does that mean I haven't changed much? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so I, I think, I, I wish I knew then that, you know, you didn't have to be that way. I came from a very traditional engineering institution as an undergraduate where it, frankly, it was a pretty macho attitude that um, the only way to do well is to just gut through it and survive. Engineering education doesn't need to be like that. It can be much more enjoyable. Um, and it's okay to actually talk about different parts of your life because sometimes students look at professors and I think they, if the professors don't open up about themselves, they don't, the students don't appreciate that. Yeah, we are people too. And like Leanne, I, I remember, I will always remember just how excited your class was to know that you were expecting like your first child. Mm-hmm. Which was amazing to, to have that response from yeah. the class. It took me a little while to figure out that. But, um, I mean, also, too, not to interrupt you, but, I mean, like, just as another example, like, I'm sure, like, tons of people have, like, heard that, like, in the past, like, I think when we were, when we were freshmen, there was, like, a tragic death of a student, and, like, I'll never forget that Michael Risk, like, our BE, I think that was 101, 101 professor, he's a very supportive faculty member, and he said, like, like, we have class right now, but, like, I'm willing to not do anything this entire class and like talk as like an, 
like as a support system right now. Like I don't I don't think we needed to, and no one ended up talking at least in my section. But like that was I'll never forget that. That was like yeah. un, like just when? like open up and like let him know that like he's a real person. Like it affects yeah. him too, and like he cares yeah. about us and how it affects us too. And like outside of school, I think that's very characteristic of a pen be engineering. Mm-hmm. Like I don't be engineering, um, <laughs> but like. I don't know, but I don't think other people have that at other schools. Yeah, I mean, I think I've talked, I think, individually with some of you guys that we talk a lot about our undergraduate education and how to coordinate and how to make sure that we're doing the right thing by you guys. We may not talk a lot about it with you guys, but I think you can kind of see it. Final thought. Would you agree, Kayla? Yeah, I would agree. I could list at least, I could list so many examples off the top of my head when, like, I, like, realized, like, wow they actually like care about us not just like they're not just like professors like just trying to like rush through the material but i just remember like enm 375 like it was like a really like hard week for all of us we had a lot of like assignments like coming down at once and they were like you know what like we see that like you guys are like really having a hard time we're just gonna like like push a deadline or like we either not gonna have class today like we just like really care about like our students like mental health and like their well-being rather than like what material is like on the syllabus for today that's one brought fried chicken I think. <laughs> that was a really that, that was, was a really good, good day, good day. <laughs> that was incredible I missed the fried chicken <laughs> yeah wait what yeah. Yeah. yeah see I was tough with you guys I'm yeah. sorry wow. <laughs> one year transition it's very very where was it from quick uh the place on federal, federal donuts yeah federal donuts oh I remember lecturing, looking back at Kayla, she was just chomping on the drumstick. <laughs> yeah. The biggest smile on her so face. Because <laughs> that, that was that, that, remember I was just talking about like that, well, that day when we would have like five classes, so we would never, we wouldn't eat from nine to like <laughs> three when we would have class, we would come in and like be hungry the whole time and eat fried chicken and that was just like, <clears throat> <Yeah>. <laughs> If you go through with the three hour lab and then you have class after that. Uh, I was an angry person between 10 a.m. and like 4 p.m. I was not nice. Well, what we did was we'd always have, we would try and get the lab bench that was closest to the door so so that you could, when, you know, when dialysis was going, it was like a 15 minute thing. You just had to wait for the day to come in. Everybody would go get lunch and we'd sit by the door and we'd make sure it was all good. And that's how we would eat lunch during our three hour lunch. Well, the other advantage too is whenever we have leftover food from the center, oh, we'll you're the first guys to see it. That is true. And I mean, the amount of candy runs that occur just yeah. phenomenal. I think I actually did get a cavity. So <laughs> my dad's just like, Is anything changed this year? I was like, <laughs> One little thing. Well, that's really cool that BE was able to reimburse that medical bill for you, though. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm still working on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. It was, very, it was great. Our pleasure.